the service, and uh, but if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, and uh, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 6 of uh, God's holy inspired word, and if you would stand with me in honor of God's word as I read it for us, I would appreciate that. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. Judge not that you be not judged, for what with judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we do pray that you would enable our hearts, our minds to understand it, that your spirit would apply it to our lives this morning as we prepare for our communion time. Father, we just pray that you would uh, uh, just do your work here this morning. Lord, I pray that my words would be your words, that you would fill me with your spirit. Lord, that you would uh, allow me to speak the truth of God that's before us. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, we heard the news about Marvin this morning, and uh, you just, I just can't get it out of my mind that he's out there somewhere wandering around, and, and uh, I've taken him to a ball game, and actually he took me, uh, and it is kind of an unnerving thing because he, he uh, tends to uh, uh, kind of lose his orientation and things like that, and so we just we, we really want to pray that God would uh, return him safely uh, to his wife and to us. So. But this morning, as we look at our, our text Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. A lot of people have a favorite saying, and you've probably heard it over and over and over again. Judge not that you be what? That you be judged. And usually it's quoted whenever someone is pointing out a sin or a fault in somebody else's life. They'll turn to you, oh, you better be careful. Judge not lest you be judged. And the impression when they do that is, you know what, you're not, you should not make any moral judgment whatsoever, whether right or wrong, in someone else's life. It's almost like it's none of your business. And when we see wrong in others, it's almost like we can never point it out. We're not allowed to do that in our politically correct society today. And a lot of times they refer to what Jesus is saying right here in the text. And a lot of times what Jesus is saying here in the text is often misconstrued. It's, it's misused. And frankly, there's a lot of times when we're called upon to make proper biblical judgments. There are times when it's appropriate to point out the faults in someone else's life. That's what we're called to do sometimes. So as we look at this text, we want to do a little bit of background before we actually get into it. Uh, 
And you remember, as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, we've been going through this for weeks, um, the Lord's touched in all these different areas of a believer's life. And uh, he kind of sums it all up in this one area of how we're going to relate one to another. That's basically what he's boiling it down to. Jesus Christ meets us at every point of life, and he began with our perspective of ourself when he talked about the Beatitudes. Remember, he talked about being humble. He talked about being broken. He talked about our perspective of the world. When we look at the world, what do we see? Do we see something we should just stay away from? Or are we called to be the salt and the light? He dealt with the perspective of the Word of God when he talked about the law and the fact that it's unchangeable. It's the same law of God today. He talked about the perspective of our moral law or holiness in our own lives and the fact that we're to have an inward commitment to holiness, not just an external one. It's not just how you are here on Sunday that counts, folks. What are you doing the rest of the week? That's what counts in God's eyes. He discussed our religious activity. Remember, we looked at giving, we looked at praying, we looked at fasting. He even discussed our perspective on money, on possessions, on basic material goods, our basic needs. And now he comes to this text and he begins to deal with our relations with other people. See, we've talked about relations with ourselves. We've talked about relations to God, to his word, to the world. We talked about our relations to our religious activity and morality and and all that, what God wants. Now he boils it down to human relationships, right relationships. And it's an incredible six verses that he he just kind of, it just rolls off his lips here. I mean, there's been so many books written on relationships and probably not one book covers what Jesus covered in six verses dealing with relationships. Jesus contrasts here in this final portion of the Sermon on the Mount, as you read ahead, hopefully, each week, he contrasts two lifestyles, he contrasts two ways, and he contrasts two destinies. See, there's a difference between having a judgmental attitude and a prayerful manner. There's the difference between the narrow way Jesus talks about and the broad way. And they end up in two different, entirely different places. He's going to go on and he's going to talk about the good fruit and the bad fruit. He's going to talk about the wise builder and the foolish builder. See, what Jesus is doing, he's laying this all out there because he wants his hearers to ultimately make a decision. He wants to bring them, to lead them to the point where they have to make a choice. And that's what he's doing. Now, as with all the other elements that we looked at in the Sermon on the Mount, he basically contrasts each one of them, as you remember, back over the several weeks, with who? Who's he contrasting his view and the who? The Pharisees, right? And I put a little chart in there, hopefully in your notes, and you can go down that chart and you can look at the different way that they look at things. They were proud. Jesus calls us to be humble. They were part of the system. We're called to be salt and light to the system. They denied the word of God and they established their own oral tradition. Jesus came and he reestablished and affirmed that his word and his word alone is true. They believed in this external kind of morality. Kind of, you know, if you, if you look holy, then you are holy. 
And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not the way it works. What's on the inside? And he pressed them to have an internal holiness, an internal morality. He looked at the way that they did the religious practices. Purely it was for show. They would find the best place to, to, to pray or to give or to fast. They put stuff on their body to make them look even and worse than what they really were. They were hypocritical. They were superficial. And the Lord pointed us back and he said, no, it has to come from your heart. You can do all that and more and it doesn't make any difference if it doesn't come from a pure heart. The Pharisees were preoccupied with money and possessions. And the Lord says that we're called to be preoccupied with his kingdom. They were often involved in wrong relationships. And so the Lord sets it right, right here in these. He begins in these first six verses. It's actually the first 12 verses. But he kind of contrasts himself with the Pharisees. And he wants us to see very clearly that there is a dynamic contrast there. And so the area of human relations goes all the way down through verse 12. If you read, he just talks about how you treat each other and he goes on and on and on. And they're split into two sections, verses 1 through 6 and verses 7 through 12. First, he, atta- he kind of looks at it negatively and then he looks at it positively. And that's how we're going to do it. I don't know if we're going to get through the first six verses today or not, but we'll try But the Pharisees, just so you understand, set up their own religious system so that they could feed their own pride, their own self-righteousness, so that they would look the best that they could. They created their own religion. And that's what happens when people make up their own religion. It's always kind of created to, to make everybody look their best. If you do this, then you're, hey, you're on top. And Jesus comes along and he just crushes everything that they had created. Because what happened was they were really putting themselves in the seat of God. That's what happens when someone comes up with their own belief system, their own religious system. They're putting themselves in the place of God. And these people condemned, they criticized, they were unmerciful, they were unforgiving, they were unkind, they didn't have any grace. And they were constantly criticizing everybody who didn't measure up to their own prescribed standard. Not God's standard, but their own kind of human-made standard. That's what they were, that was their standard, and that's what they put everybody against. And if you didn't match up, well, then their criticism just lashed out at you. In John chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus said to them, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. So just to let you know, this, these verses are not telling us that we're not to judge. As Christians, as believers, we're called to judge. We have to judge, and we'll see that. Turn over to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, just to give you a little bit of a picture of how self-righteous and covetous these people are. It says in verses 14, 15 of, of Luke 16, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of what? Money. Also heard all 
these things and they derided him. And he said to them, you are those who what? Justify who? Yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. In other words, he was looking at the Pharisees and all the religious garb and trappings. And he said, you know, you think you got it. You think you have reached the pinnacle. You think that you have everything there is to have when it comes to a relationship with God. And Jesus looks them squarely in the face and he's telling them, you're wrong. You think you're judges. You think you can look down your your noses at everybody else who maybe doesn't measure up to your own standard and you think that you're properly judging, but you're wrong. Their judgment was the total reverse of God's judgment. God doesn't judge by appearance. Just the opposite. A little later on, if you turn the page in your Bibles over to Luke chapter 18, Jesus uses a parable. It says in verse 9, Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in what? In themselves. Beloved, if you're here today and you haven't put your faith, your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, guess what? You're trusting in yourself. You're hoping somehow at the end of life, this whole thing spiritually is just going to be a wash and maybe by your good works or by whatever, it's just going to kind of all come out in the wash and you're going to be okay. Not going to happen. You're trusting in yourself. You need to be trusting in someone other than yourself. It says that they were righteous and they despised others. They put all their confidence in their own self-righteousness. And because they set their own standard, they made the rules of their own game, they thought they were winning the game. Once in a while, I'll play a game with Mason, a card game or whatever, and it's almost like, hey, wait a minute, you're making up the rules as we go. You know, just, I'm, just, I'm doing this now, and, and you won by doing this last time, but now I'm losing. How is this working? You know, that's what they were doing. They were making up the rules as they go. And when they met the rules, they kind of filled themselves up with pride. And they looked down on everybody else who didn't measure up, who didn't know how to play the game as they prescribed the game to be played. And so Jesus confronts them. And he says there in verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. Two kind of total opposites in their society. A Pharisee was somebody who was looked up to in the religious world, and and not by Jesus, but by just all the religious folks because he had all the garb and the robes and, you know, he looked so holy. And then a tax collector, the opposite, the totally opposite. These were usually Jews who were collecting taxes from Jewish people for the Roman government. They were hated. They were despised by their people. And you see these two polarized people, and it says they went up to the temple to pray. Verse 11 says the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. See, that's what a self-righteous person does. Don't think God's hearing the prayer of a self-righteous person, because he's not. A self-righteous person thinks they have everything they need within themselves. 
Remember in the Truth Project, one of the DVDs, they had a, a woman on there who was a religious leader, and they were asking, what is truth? And she, we just find it within ourselves. She had glasses, and she looked very intellectual and very pious. That's how they were. The Pharisee stood and he prayed thus with himself. And look at what he prays. I thank you, God, that I am not like that other man. Or like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this pitiful tax collector. I mean, you can hear the sarcasm in his prayer. Can you imagine if someone stood up in our body? And we had a time of prayer and they stood up and they said, Lord, I just thank you that I'm not like the rest of these lowly people here that are crying out to you. And they went on to list her, I pray three times a day. And I, I mean, I think we'd probably just haul them out of the building. I don't think they'd get, be able to finish their prayer, to be honest with you. That's what they were doing. It was self-righteousness. And if it ticks us off, think what it does to the heart of God. And look at what he says in verse 12. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Listing his accomplishments. See, the minute you begin to do that, God starts wiping out the rewards. (laughs) The minute you start keeping track, the minute you start keeping score of all that you do for the kingdom of God and how that it wouldn't operate unless you were there to do it, when you start getting that kind of mentality, you better watch out. Because you're not doing it with the right heart. You're not doing it with the right motivation. It was such a blessing when we were back there. I got to go to a couple different churches and hear pastors preach. And and, uh, they would always ask, well, who's preaching in your church? Did you have to bring somebody in? I said, no, no. we got guys within the body that are gifted and capable. And they do a wonderful job. Really? How many Sundays have you gone? I said, two. Well, that's pretty good. How big's your church? It's not real big. They were very impressed. Because that's not the norm. Usually you go on vacation, you've got to start looking through your friends or other pastors. Or, hey, can you come fill in? And, you know, I thank God that we have men here, Ken, Danny, John, others, that are willing to step up to the plate and do what's needed. See, it's, it's not about a person. It's about a ministry. It's not about keeping score of what you do. It's about doing it with the right heart. And then you look at verse 13. Here's the other side of this whole thing. And the tax collector, look at where he was standing, afar off. He didn't even feel worthy to come near the temple would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but it says he beat his breast to sign a mourning. And he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I always tell people, if they're serious about getting right with the Lord, if they are really serious about wanting to know Christ in a personal way and having their sins forgiven, forget the sinner's prayer. Pray this prayer. Okay? Forget somebody else leading you in a prayer. Open your Bible and pray this prayer from your heart. God will hear this prayer. He will answer this prayer. 
because it's a prayer of, sal- prayer of salvation. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It shows us our true condition before a holy God. There's not one of us that could stand for a millisecond before God on our own self-righteousness. It's only by the grace and the mercy of our Lord and Savior and the sacrifice that He made on the cross that we were, are able to enter into His presence, the Bible says. Because we've put our faith, our trust, not in ourselves, not in our talents, not in our works, not in our looks, but in a Savior who was willing to give everything He had to die on a cross, even though He didn't deserve it. He took upon Himself all the sins of all the world of everyone who would ever believe in His name. And they were laid upon Him. And He paid the price. Verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you, this man who, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The problem with the Pharisees, they were always exalting themselves. They always wanted to look better for somebody. They were always concerned what other people thought. In other words, they made judgments, but their judgments were wrong. That's what Jesus is telling them. They sat as condemning, as critical judges to everybody else. And that's the one thing that really marked the relations with other people. It was a judgmental, condemning attitude. That's how they dealt with other people. And you know what? As I studied this past week, a couple weeks for this message, you know, God spoke to my heart personally. Because if you know me, if you've known me for any time, I'm a very critical person. I can be very over-the-top judgmental. That's just kind of part of my personality or something. I don't know. I mean, I can't even sit down with my wife and watch a a game show or a comedy without sitting there making some smart remark. This wouldn't happen. What what are we even watching this stuff? Can't you just enjoy it? Why do you have to be so critical? You're listening to someone preach. It's like, well, I don't know if that's right. You know, there's nothing wrong with kind of making sure everything's correct biblically and things like that. We're not talking about that, but we're talking about over-the-top, critical. I know I have that kind of an attitude. And Jesus here is saying, that is wrong. You need to get get away from it. Do away with it. Stop it. And so in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12, he sums up all this teaching in human relationships. And first of all, in verses 1 to 6, he tells us what we're not to do. He gives us the negative and then he gives us the positive. And he starts off in verse 1, he says, judge not. That's basically the principle that he's trying to communicate. He's basically telling us, stop judgment, stop judging. And you can say, well, what's that have to do with relationships? It has a lot. It has a lot if you think about it. Nobody likes to be around a judgmental, critical person. But it sounds so simplistic. Just judge not. That's all he's going to say. And you hear people throw that out. Judge not lest you be judged. Who are you to judge? Oh, you just think you're holier than thou. And you hear all these things. One Russian novelist said this, Christ here totally forbids the human institution of any law courts. 
That's just crazy. He's not talking about law courts. He's not talking you shouldn't have a sitting judge and you shouldn't be able to go to court. That's not what he's talking about here. Other people say, well, that's saying you should never criticize. You should never condemn anybody for anything. And that's kind of the world we live in today, isn't it? The minute you speak up about something, what what do people do? Oh, you're just too close-minded. Because we live in an age where they use this judge not in a wrong way. There's a lot of churches today, you can't teach theology. You know why? Because it divides the church. That's what they say. Oh, you don't want to, you know, don't teach through the, the book of 1 Corinthians, man. That deals with tongues and, and all the charismatic issues. If you teach through that book, you'll, you'll divide your church. I mean, my attitude, well, so be it. Maybe it needs divided. I don't know. But you've got to teach what the Word of God says. The minute you begin to pull back and you say, well, I can't say this because it might hurt so-and-so, then you're not being faithful to God's inspired, inerrant Word. I mean, we have all this ecumenical, let's come together around the little candle of unity, hug and and tell each other we love everybody and sing kumbaya. That's not what Jesus is about. There's a resistance today in churches that when a man speaks up and speaks with conviction, it comes across as crass. It comes across as, oh, man, that guy was just over the top. The Bible tells us that's how we should teach the Word of God in an uncompromising, undiscriminating way. We're not to be blind. We're called to make a distinction between true and false religion. We're called to make a distinction between hypocrisy and reality. That's what we're called to do as believers. We're not called to be some undiscriminating, just lovey-dovey bunst. And we don't care what you believe about marriage. We don't care what you believe about evolution. We don't care whether you believe the Word of God to be true. Just come join us here at GBC. I mean, there are pastors today, beloved, that literally will not mention the word sin. They will not mention the blood of Christ because they're afraid they'll offend somebody. And they've thrown their net so wide and they've built such a humongous machine. They're so concerned about feeding the machine, they can't say anything that would offend anybody, even if the Word of God says it, because they need the money in the coffers. And it all boils down to this. Talked with a brother back there and and we were talking about some of this crazy stuff in Lakeland, Florida. And at first, I remember the conversation we were having with this couple, and they were saying, well, you know, we don't know. It could be. Said, you know what? It's, 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 it's heretical what's going on in that place. This guy on TV is a hypocrite at best. He's a false prophet. He's a false teacher. You know, you don't, you don't need to go too long, you know, to one of his meetings when you see him calling people forward to be healed, and he's kicking them in the face and then saying, there's one for YouTube. I mean, come on, where do you think this guy gets this? It's an act. And all along, they weren't defending him, but they were kind of going, well, we don't know. Well, then, you know, we find out that he's left his wife and so forth. And so it it always happens that way. It always happens that way. Because they're centered on themselves. They're not centered on the Word of God. So we have to have discrimination. We have to understand what what is truth, what is falsehood. Look Look at verse 15. 
in our, in our text there in verse, chapter 7 of Matthew, beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing. Now, if you only perceive things superficially, you're going to think, whoa, this, this cat's really got something going on. Look at how he's dressed. He looks like one of us. See, that's why our church is not quick. You know, when you come to church here, we're not going to next Sunday have you come forward and, you know, place your membership here at Grace Bible Church. We just don't do that. We want you to come, hang out for six months. We get to know you, you, you get to know us. You understand, go through a class, understand what we believe. And if you're still interested in putting your membership here with, at the church, that's fine. But there has to be some form of judgment. We don't know the false prophets. The false prophets don't walk through the church doors with a big billboard on their head. I'm a false prophet. Can I teach next Sunday? doesn't work that way. We don't know the dogs. He talks here in verse 6 about the hogs and the dogs. We don't know who they are. We don't know who the, 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 the dogs are. We don't know the swine that we're called to avoid. You have to make certain judgments about people to be able to do that. In chapter 18 of Matthew, it's it's several verses dealing with church discipline, dealing with a sinning brother within the church that we're called to confront that brother boldly, forthrightly about his unrighteousness, about his sinfulness, to make it a matter of public knowledge if he refuses to repent. We're not supposed to have just some lackadaisical kind of obedience to the Scriptures. We're believers. We're called to believe in God's Word and to follow it with all our heart. Paul says in Galatians 1, if somebody comes and preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. That doesn't sound too inclusive. John said if anybody comes and talks about a Christ other than the Christ of the Bible, don't even let him in your house. So the next time the Mormons or the Jehovah Witnesses come to your door, think of that verse. You're not to invite him in over a cup of coffee and, quote, witness to them. Because it's just going to be a big argument. Does that mean you don't pray for him? You don't pray that God would, would take the blinders off their eyes and they would come to salvation? No. But don't think that somehow, by giving them a cookie and a cup of coffee and opening your Bible and trying to convince them that Jesus is the Christ, that that's going to work outside of a move of God upon their heart, it's not going to work. And throughout the whole Bible, we're commanded to discern, to judge, to try the spirits, to know the difference between good and evil. That's why this DVD series, The Truth Project, is so important, because we're seeing how to discern between truth and falsehood. The whole reason Jesus came is to testify to the truth. So we have to be able to make a judgment. Well, what's he talking about here? If he's not talking about all that, what is he saying when he's saying judge not? What he's talking about here is a critical, judgmental, condemning, self-righteous, egotistical attitude. And that attitude was that of the Pharisees. That's what he's talking about. They weren't criticizing people because of their sin. That's not what they were doing. They were criticizing them because of their personality 
or maybe their character, or maybe their weaknesses or their frailties, or maybe perchance the way they, they, they dressed, or the fact that they didn't do things the way that they did them. That convicts me, because that's where I go when I criticize people. I criticize people for all those things in my heart. Sometimes I even go to the point of criticizing people for their motives. And God says it's wrong. We shouldn't go there. You don't know why a person does what he does. Nor do I. Only God has that place. I mean, to go around saying, well, then we, I guess you're just saying we should love everybody and never judge anybody. That's not what the Lord is saying here either. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17, it says, Thou shalt not hate your brother. What's he mean by that? He goes on, he says, You shalt in any case rebuke thy neighbor and not allow, him, uh, not allow sin on him. In other words, if you allow your brother or sister to continue in sin, you're not showing him love, you're showing him hate. So sometimes you have to confront that brother or sister in Christ. And nobody likes to do that. You'd be sick in your mind if you said, man, I can't wait. I hope somebody sins really bad so I can confront them. That would be a sick person. Okay? Nobody likes to do that. But it's out of a heart of love that we confront. It's out of a heart of love that we make a judgment and say, brother, sister, this is not right in your life. You need to change it. It's grieving God. And it's hurting your testimony for Christ. See, it's love that demands repentance. And so we don't have the privilege of just walking around with our eyes closed saying, I don't see anything. I don't want to say anything. I know they're doing the wrong thing, but who am I? You're showing them hate if that's your attitude. The right attitude is it's a love that confronts. It's hate that ignores a fault and a sin and lets a person go down that path. But it's love that expresses concern and confronts that person. And Jesus condemned repeatedly. He judged repeatedly. He evaluated repeatedly. He even criticized repeatedly. But it came from a pure heart. I mean, he literally undressed, unmasked, stripped down the Pharisees in Matthew 23. We're not talking about that kind of criticism. We're talking about an ugly, self-righteous, judgmental, critical spirit which the Pharisees had and sometimes we as believers possess. And so basically to sum it up, he's saying stop it. Stop criticizing from an evil heart, from a wrong motive. Romans 16, 17 says, We must mark them that cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which we've learned and avoid them. See, Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't make certain theological judgments. He's not saying that at all. We have to make doctrinal distinctions. We have to mark out people who teach a different doctrine, teach a different gospel. And we're called to avoid those people. We have to make judgments. We have to make distinctions. And Peter says that that judgment, that, that, that kind of a uh, righteous judgment must begin with the house of God. We have a right to make a righteous judgment. John 7.24 says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. That word right 
or that word uh, judgment there is, is uh, uh, krino, and it's translated a very broad, different ways, a whole bunch of different ways in the New Testament. And as we look at it in its context here, it's a contrast with the Pharisees through the whole sermon. And as we look at this, this context, we know he's not forbidding all this judgment because of what we just talked about. But we're not to judge people's motives. You don't know what's in a person's heart. We're not to condemn them because they don't look the way we look or the way we think or they ought to look. Or they don't act or talk the way we think they ought to act or talk. They don't come up to our self-ascribed, self-righteous standard. We have no business doing things like that. That's forbidden. Romans 14, 13 says, Let us not therefore judge one another, judge one another anymore. Stop it. Stop doing it. We're not to do some kind of official judging. That's not our place. That's God's place. And God forbids hasty judgments. I remember the DVD of uh, Love and Respect. And I remember the, the, the man telling the story of, of you're on a bus ride and the bus stops at a bus stop and this guy gets on and he's got three kids and he just kind of skirts over to the window nearest the, the seat in the front, right in front of you and he sits there and he just stares out the window. And his kids are running all over the bus. They're causing problems. They're making noise. And everybody's trying to sleep. And everybody's looking at you because you're right behind the guy. And, and they, they kind of pointed at you to talk to this man about his kids. So finally, you, you kind of, sir, 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 finally turns around. What? Like he's in his own world. He says, your kids are a wreck. They're, they're causing people they can't sleep. I mean, it's just disturbing the whole bus. And the guy looks at him and he says, oh, I'm sorry. Their mother just passed away. And we're going home to make preparations for her funeral. See, you make a hasty judgment. You don't have all the information. Once you get that other information, those kids could be swinging from the rafters and it probably wouldn't bother you because they just lost their mother. Sometimes that's what we do. We make these official judgments. We make hasty judgments. We're not called to do either. We're not called to make unwarranted judgments or undeserved judgments. Like in Colossians where it says they were judging the believers for not keeping a new moon, feast, or a Sabbath day. We're not to make unjust judgments like the the judges in northern kingdom of Israel. They took bribes. We're not to make unmerciful judgments. God forbids all that. We're not to do that. And he gives us three reasons why. First of all, because that kind of a judgment manifests an erroneous view of God himself. It manifests an erroneous view of man himself, of God himself. It says, judge not that you be not judged. What's he saying? He's basically telling them, you know what? You're not the final court here. You're not the, you don't have the final say. You don't have the privilege of making that kind of a judgment. Now, during the millennium, when the Lord returns... We will have that privilege. We will carry out some of his rule and his judgment. The Bible tells us that. But for right now, we're not the one to make those kinds of judgments. We literally usurp the place of God. 
Every time we sit in judgment on someone, every time we criticize someone because of their motives or whatever, every time we think that we have the right to make an evaluation, what are we doing? We're playing God. That's what we're doing. Because we don't know what's in that person's heart. Only God does. Now, obviously, we're not talking about something that's an obvious sin. If, if, that's the pro- if that's the problem, if you see an obvious sin in a brother or sister's life, the Bible's very clear. You go to him. If he doesn't hear you, you take two or three witnesses. If he doesn't hear that, then you take to the church and, and so forth. There's a place for that. Romans 14.4, Paul says this, Who are you that judges another man's servant? In other words, that person is God's servant. That's the analogy there. And to his own master, he'll stand or fall. God is able to make that determination, not you. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul says, With me it's a very small thing that I would be judged of you or of man's judgment. For I don't know anything against myself, yet am I not hereby justified? He that judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time. What he's saying is, you know what, folks? Let God evaluate my ministry. That's what he's saying. He's not so concerned about what they thought about his ministry. Because when you begin to be concerned about what people think about your ministry, what happens? Our sin nature, just we just turn into people pleasers. Because we want people to like us. We want people to say nice things about us. That's not where our concern should be. He says, stop judging each other in a critical way. In James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he says this, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. In other words, why don't you let God do? God's law do its work. You can't set yourself up as a judge. Verse 12 says, There's only one lawgiver, one who is able to save, and one who is able to destroy. Who are you to judge one another? That's the question he's asking. So don't play God. Don't play God. You have an erroneous view of God if you're doing that. Secondly, the reason he tells us not to do that, verse 2, is because it develops an erroneous view of others. A lot of people think they can judge because they think that they're more righteous than the people around them. That's why they think they're judge, being able to judge. The Pharisees thought that they were exempt. They lived on some strata far above everybody else. I mean, they're up there where everything's fine in the clouds and you know, all you puny people down there, well, you got problems, I know. That was their view. That was their mindset. So you have an erroneous view of others if you do that kind of judgment from a critical heart. Verse 2 says, With what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you measure, you will, it will be measured to you again. In other words, you're going to get just what you give. That scares me. That scares me. It really does. Some people think here that it's talking about human relationships. Some people think, well, yeah, you know, you treat somebody nasty, they're going to treat you nasty back. It, 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 
I mean, that happens on a human level, but that's not what he's talking about here. That has nothing to do with what he's talking about here. Luke 6, 38 says, Given, it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaking together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. So there's a sense in which we get reciprocation for the way we treat people, but that's not the heart of this verse. Because how men treat us should not motivate us on how we treat them, right? As believers. Paul says, it's a small thing how you judge me. I'm still going to do what's right before God. A man or a woman who walks with God is not so concerned about what other people are seeing, about what other people think. A man or woman who walks with God is solely, fully concerned with what God thinks, what God is seeing. I mean, that's what what helps me in times when I'm by myself and I'm prone to to sin like everybody else. and, And I'm thinking, oh, you know what? There's nobody here, but there is somebody here. It's funny how that works. Now, we shouldn't be indifferent to what men feel. I mean, it says faithful are the wounds of a friend. Psalm 141 says, let the righteous smite me if I deserve it. It's not that we're indifferent. But I really believe here he's not talking about somebody else's judgment. He's talking about God's judgment. He's talking about his evaluation. In other words, God is going to evaluate you on the basis of your knowledge, your light, what you have been given. And for some people, they feel that they've been given everything, so they have the right to judge everybody. And what God is saying, no, that's not true. Too much has been given, much is what? Required, right? The Bible says that when you trample underfoot the blood of the covenant and count the sacrifice of Christ as an unholy thing, you reject the full gospel. There's nothing more to reject. If you don't accept the sacrifice of Christ for your sin, there's nothing else for you to deal with. I heard a pastor say a couple weeks ago that they were asking about evangelism, and they said, he said, the, the, the way I deal with evangelism, he goes, basically, I just get right to the heart of the matter. They said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, after we kind of exchange names, I get right to the point of their sin in this person's life. What are they going to do with it? I mean, you don't, you know, kind of, no. I go right to the issue of sin in their life and, and, and how are they going to deal with it? Well, do most people, no, because most people don't accept that. That's the point. If you're not willing to accept that you're a sinner, then you, you, you can't be talked in to the cross. You have no need for the cross. And he says, I've run into people and I tell them that, you know, what are you going to do about the sin in your life? Who told you I've sinned up? You know, I've been going through a hard time. And they'll start talking. And God brings conviction. And they, they, come, they come to Christ. We don't need all this flowery stuff to kind of woo people into the kingdom of God. Kind of like when they're not looking, you know, that kind of a thing. 
That's not what evangelism is. Evangelism isn't bringing somebody to church. Hey, it's great. If unbelievers come to church and they're willing to sit under the teaching of the Word of God, that's great. They're just kind of wrapping up more judgment from themselves in the end. The more they hear and the more they put off the decision that's called upon them to make for a Savior, I would not want to be in their shoes in the end. But hey, that, they're, they're free to do that. But as believers... Evangelism is truly going out and pointing out to brothers or to people who are in the world that they need to deal with the issue of sin in their life. And when that happens, God works. Criticism kind of like is, is like a boomerang. It comes right back at you. The way you judge people is the way you're going to be judged, not by them necessarily, but by God. And that should be the concern on our heart. So erroneous view of God and erroneous view of others. And finally, the last one, an erroneous view of yourself. (laughs) Kind of the idea that, you know, who do you think you are to sit around and check everybody else out and make judgments or be critical of them? You're telling me you don't have anything else to work on? You're just perfect? I thought to myself this past week, if I spent even half the time, and this is kind of a self-confession here, we are leading up to communion, half the time in prayer that I spend being critical, being kind of just judgmental, all the things that we talked about, that's, that's what you're looking at. If I spend half of that time at home praying in seeking God's face, I'd be so much better off. I'd be so much better off. That's what he's saying here. And that's where he comes down here to the end. And he's talking about this plank. And and he says, you know, why do you look at the speck or the moat in your brother's eye? It means a splinter, a small kind of twig, something like that. I mean, you have anything in your eye, it bugs you, right? I mean, you just get a little piece of something in your eye, you know, a little eyelash, boy, it starts irritating you. He says, if you've got that in your eye, that would be bad enough. Why do you, why do you, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider, look at what he says, the plank or the beam in your own eye. This is almost like a cartoon. It's kind of a ridiculous illustration. It really is. Can you imagine having something, you know, as big as a two-by-four in your eye, and you're trying to go over to somebody else who has a little piece of something and trying to get it out of their eye? I mean, you'd beat them, and beat them to death with the two-by-four before you'd ever reach them. It's just ridiculous. And that's the point. Jesus is trying to point out. He's saying, this is ridiculous. Well, what is this plank? What is this big two-by-four sticking out of your eye? It's self-righteousness. That's what it is. A lot of people say, oh, it's this sin or that sin. No, it's self-righteousness because that's the whole context. That's what he's talking about here. The plank is self-righteousness. It says, you know, I'm holy just the way I am. I don't need any help. And that was the whole purpose of this whole, the whole Beatitudes, and that's why in verse 5 he calls them hypocrites. He says, you're phony. You're hypocrites. You're absolutely 
false person. You're pretending to be something you're not. It's very dangerous, especially when it comes to spiritual things, to pretend to be something you're not. He says, first of all, you have to cast the beam out of your own eye. He doesn't say you shouldn't judge. He just says, you know what? Take care of your own business first. Does that mean you've got to be perfect? No. But if you've got a hunk and two-by-four hanging out of your eye, you might get a clue. That's the point. We need to consider the plank in your own eye first. Has the idea of kind of looking at something in a meditative manner, really kind of grappling with it, dealing with it, pulling it out, letting God deal with it. You know, in Psalm 51, David wrote this, Create in me, O Lord, a what? A clean heart. A clean heart. That's the prayer that we need. And then he follows up, and here's what he says. Then will I teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. See, David doesn't say, Oh, look at all those sinners and all those people that need converted out there. I better get to work. No, he says, You know what, God? You need to deal with me first. You need to create a clean heart in me first. He's not saying, You know, you just go help everybody else. You've got to deal with me first. There's no way to teach a transgressor the right way. There's no way to convert a sinner to God until we have our own business taken care of. He's not saying don't help us any, brother. He's saying get your act together first. Be the kind of person that God wants you to be. Galatians 6.1 says clearly that we're to restore a sinning brother in love and meekness and fear, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. See, whenever you come to a brother or sister in, in sin, you, do never, you never come from the top down. You don't come over and... Brother, I hear that you got sin in your life. Well, we're going to deal with it right now. That's not the way to address somebody like that. Nobody would like to be addressed that way. You come from under them. You come out of humility, out of meekness, out of gentleness. And so we're called to judge. We're called to discriminate. And, you know, as we come before the Lord's table, I don't think I'm the only person here that has a critical heart. I don't think I'm the only person here that has a judgmental attitude at times. So I just want to take a couple minutes. I just want us to bow our heads, bow our hearts, and to confess it. That's the first step to pulling that plank out of your eye is confessing it. Coming to God and saying, Lord, you know what? This guy with this plank, that's me. And I want it to change. And I want it to change now. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we pray that you would minister to our hearts as we partake of communion together. Lord, we ask that you would just do a work in us and through us. Father, I pray for anybody here who has not put their faith or trust in you as Lord and Savior. Lord, they have more than enough information. God, I pray that you would convict their heart of their sin, that you would draw them to the cross, that you would draw them to the Savior. Lord, that you would show them that it's by the narrow way that they need to go, not the broad way. Father, do that work even now. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.